Welcome back to The Underdogs, a podcast dedicated to covering the twists, turns, laughs, and tears of the Emmy Award-winning Apple TV series, Ted Lasso. Well, in every episode, we do a brief overview followed by a three-word episode review. Then we do and analyze what happened on the pitch, off the pitch, and the main theme of the episode. We also follow this with a little bit of pub trivia and finally crown a winner-winner football dinner of the episode. Easy enough, right? So today we're covering season one, episode six, Two Aces. While episode five was a deep emotional episode, Two Aces gets into the world of curses and superstitions in sports. A quick request, if you are superstitious, uh, like I am, uh, if you want to engage with us on social media at Pod Underdogs, uh, we, we really uh, appreciate that. And, you know, no curses yet, obviously, uh, on the channel, but uh, we're trying to avoid that. All right. Well, without further ado, let's jump into every episode the best way we know how, which is the three-word episode review. Dan, what have you got? I went with exercise, question mark? No, exercise. Spell those demons. As in those demons, huh, Dan? An exorcism yeah. on the books. Um, Nick, what about you? Uh, I went with uh, with some items from said exorcism, uh, and that is Blanky, Tabloid, and Lamborghini. That is right. And I, I finished it all off with no empty bottles. This is uh, a team effort here, and so we're going to have to rally the troops on this one. So before we get into it, we're going to take a quick ad break, and we're back jumping right into On the Pitch, a.k.a. the football stuff. All right, On the Pitch time. After the emotional end to Episode 5, where Ted and Michelle agree to separate, the first scene in Episode 6 is of a solemn Ted taking off his wedding ring and heading into training. He gets lost on the way and is late, looking incredibly disheveled. Uh, and flustered after some back and forth about nicknames, Nate asks Beard if Ted is okay. And in typical show fashion, Beard confidently says, no, there is no masking <laughs> it. Ted is in a bad spot. Uh, again, the show does not delay. They do have an advantage. They don't have to to film for ad breaks, Nick, so they can just set everything up right away and get into it. And they don't have to worry about uh, intermittent pauses, which is a huge advantage for the show. Uh, how many shows... Would the characters have gone? Oh yeah, he's fine. You know, d- you know, just having a bit of a weird day or whatever. Like this, Dan cuts right to the chase and says, "Absolutely the hell not. He's not good." <laughs> Little shades of uh, look, not not as not as he- uh, heavy of a character in ter- in many ways as Tony Soprano, but mm. you know, a similar titular character of a show who is going through a lot of emotional crisis and being relied upon to carry the family, carry the organization operating around them. And, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's very interesting to see how Ted is going to cope or ends up trying to cope throughout this episode when he's had a really rough start to, uh, you know, his time in London. I mean, it it it, it also shows the depth between Ted and Beard. Obviously, mm-hmm. they know each other so well. Those two mm-hmm. uh, are are in sync, which is why they're such a good one-two uh, combo on the sidelines. Um, but again, setting the stage right away that uh, not all is well in Ted Lasso's world. Uh, and it continues, right, with the pre- press conference. Ted addresses the Jamie Tart-sized elephant in the room about how he, he needs to react to getting taken off for halftime. It wasn't what Rich he wanted. Uh, Richmond still won against Watford. And, uh, you know, Jamie is just not impressed, whatever. And I love it, Dan, when we get the uh, Trent Krim from the independent interjections. Always does such a good job of kind of bringing the football realism into it. Well, he asked the question of, but are you honestly going to keep your best player on the bench? 
And Ted responds with, well, that depends on Jamie. He knows what we need from him, uh, need, needs from him. And so it's not the first time that has happened in any scenario with uh, managers that uh, for our team, because uh, we are all Chelsea supporters. Uh, yep. Jose Mourinho has done this uh, quite frequently. <laughs> Very good at using the media and to, great effect. to his full advantage. Yes. Um, and so this this is good to see a little bit of the, I don't know, the, the way that Ted can cut through a scenario and show a little more steel in, in the situation, Nick. Uh, it's also like Ted made the decision, right? He He benched his best player before halftime, which is in the soccer world, pretty insulting thing to do unless you're injured. Uh, Right, Brandon? So you got to stick to your guns at that point. You can't just go, nah, he's back in the team right away. Everything's good to go. Like Jamie has to prove it. And that's part of being a teammate. And this kind of, again, is a little bit of insight into Ted's real coaching chops and abilities, right? Because Mm -hmm. a good coach will, um, you know, pull the strings even of a top player to get the best out of them, even if that means, you know, upsetting them or potentially benching them. And it just shows that he does have some of the fundamentals of a coach, which, you know, a lot of people didn't think he had. <laughs> Ted's a man manager. He's not a tactical expert, right? And I, and I think those two things are really different. His job, unlike Beard's job, is to get the best out of the person and the player through their interpersonal connection, right? And their connection to the broader team. A tactical manager is a really good, like, game planner, right? And someone who can help set up the team differently to, to try and exploit weaknesses of, of another side. Ted has always been the man manager. Like, he he needs to connect with his players. This is a pretty interesting way to do it, though. Yeah. Um, so right after the presser, Rebecca confronts Ted about benching Jamie and the ramifications of keeping him on the bench too long, AKA Man City, who technically he's their player, he's on loan. And so what that means is that, you know, if he's not playing enough, which this is a little bit of show talk, it's not in mm-hmm. real world of the, like, Hey, if you don't play Jamie, we're going to pull him back is we have that leverage. And so Rebecca just kind of gives Ted the heads up on the, the implications of that. And, um, you know, Ted responds. He says, hey, Rebecca, here's my plan. I, I got to get through to Jamie. He's not bigger than the game. I think I got a challenge uh, for him that he's going to respond to. And he kind of lays it out. And it's a, it's a fine balance in this sense. So we have to see how it, it kind of works. But, yeah, um, welcome, everybody, to what is known as a, a loan of a football player, Nick. Yeah, so just a quick aside, uh, unlike in American sports where you would make trades, uh, you can actually loan a player and still own uh, their contract in in European soccer. So typically this is done with players who are on the younger side who need to go get experience, and, and Jamie is on the younger side. And he's also in a Man City team that we know as football fans is just stacked, right? There's no room for him to get on the pitch. And so loaning him out to get experience is a really great way to improve him, improve his value, improve his asset, right? So uh, that that actually happens quite a bit. It is, uh, as Brandon said, really rare for like a benching to happen and an immediate recall uh, to, to go through, Dan, because, uh, you know, typically this is a longer term vision that you'd put out to loan a player, uh, of, of some, of some stature. And, uh, this just wouldn't happen immediately like this. Yeah. It's, there are usually only certain types of scenarios where a player can get recalled and most teams actually wouldn't even do it because it would create disunity within their their main squad so like in this scenario man city probably has attacking players in their team 
Jamie comes in and displaces that scenario if he were to return off of the loan. And then, you know, there also is like the inter-club relationship where if Richmond and City were going to do a loan together again, there's less likely you're going to trust that that is going to be carried through effectively. If you're pulling the trigger and canceling loans, like canceling a loan is a pretty rare scenario and typically has involved a player not starting across like multiple matches for like, you know, Hey, they're not playing at all. Or they got like half a season or something, you know? Yeah. So, uh, drastic threat. Uh, it'd be drastic measures from city that they're threatening, but you know, their hope is that Jamie Tart plays as much as possible. So he continues to develop. That is what they want to see. But then this is kind of like the big one right here is, uh, you know, we had some trouble with the semantic satiation beard alerts Ted that Jamie is not going to practice because he's quote unquote hurt. That's right. The, uh, the good old he's hurt. Wink, wink. Mm. Don't believe it. So Ted confronts Jamie about it. He laughs it off. He's a hey, just practice, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm good. I just, you know, I'm hurt today. Okay. Like today you're hurt. Okay. That's a little interesting, convenient. Um, so Ted kind of just goes off, uh, about the in your face coaching moment. He's, he's talking about how practice and how it's selfish from Jamie. Um, you know, he's really just flipped the script for the first time. I think this is not the Ted that anyone in the locker room is used to seeing. And the players are watching and all of a sudden their ears perk up. Cause they're like, Whoa, not only is Ted not happy, go lucky. He's yelling at our star player of all people. And you love to see Roy kind of in the peripheral, like just past Jamie, mm-hmm. just watching. And he's kind of watching out of the side of his eye. Like he's not really uh, facing it. And uh, he's paying very particular attention during this epic rant. And, uh, you know, you'd think that he he started to gain some respect for Ted in this sense. But Dan, my, oh, my. Um, maybe as a mixture of caught Ted on a bad day, right? You know, he's he's had a, he's had a rough run of it in the morning. And it's just this is one thing that he will not accept. He storms out of the coach, the manager's office, and goes right to Jamie and confronts him. Like, and he's like really worked up. Like he's not calm and collected. Like you can tell he's agitated about this. Uh, a heat-seeking a little spillover. <laughs> yeah, little little spillover from the emotional state that he is in and at home has now reared its head in the the team's locker room with the we're talking about practice man i'm talking about practice and you can't do it because you're hurt right fine by me tell you what do me a favor when you get out there set up the cones so the other reserves do a little passing drill and then like you know does the walk off right and like you know the the mic drop type of moment there and uh, nick yeah i think we know this pretty well as the inspiration from alan iverson in a pretty famous mm-hmm. press conference where he's talking about practice man i missed about like one practice all season (laughs) yeah this is an alan iverson and mike brown special i encourage you if you don't know the reference to go look it up on youtube it's only one of the most famous videos ever produced um so yeah and and just so happens that as a punk kid myself alan iverson was my favorite basketball player by a mile um so i i love this reference and sudeikis actually has an interview where he talks about the inspiration for this moment and how this scene actually evolved a couple of times as they were writing it uh, to kind of map to that uh, thing. But I think the the really cool part about this scene is that we had not up to this point, Brandon, seen Ted Lasso yell once. Mm-hmm. Right. So 
he is a considered human being, right? He doesn't just flip off the handle every second like Roy, and he's not a cocky little shit like Jamie is, right? Like, he, he is a pretty happy-go-lucky guy, but when he does choose to deploy this tactic, everyone listens. Like, there, there is there can be no doubt who the alpha in the room is at that point. And I think as a, as a man manager, the positive reinforcement that Keeley tried to get him to do hasn't worked. Right. Mm-hmm. So he just kind of kicks that door down and goes the opposite way <laughs> yeah. and, and, and shames him. And, and I think this one, this one definitely got to him. Yeah. I mean, you go back to man manager uh, and obviously you have to choose your moments to kind of do the big outbursts, right? Like, Again, to your point, if you do it all the time, it just becomes repetitive and it loses its bite. This stuck everyone in in the locker room, not just Jamie, right? All of a sudden, everybody was put on notice that like, look, if you go outside of, you know, kind of the the team unity play, we're not going to have you on the team and and, and that or we're not going to allow that. Right. And so Ted is very firmly drawing a line, love the line. The, that he says as well, he goes, practice is the only time that we can control everything. Every other time is 11 of us versus 11 of them, um, which is also just like a great reminder of kind of like why you go through practice and things like that. But uh, uh, really impactful and powerful one. Um, but conveniently timed here is that, oh, no, Jamie. Well, guess who happens to get healthy? The new signing from the summer who's been out injured all season. Enter the scene, Danny Rojas. Uh, talk about a heck of an entry for a character. Uh, you thought Ted was bright and cheery. My word, Dan, we are in for a treat. <laughs> well, uh, not only is he an actor, but he is also a former professional footballer. So Cristobal Fernandez, who has played uh, in Liga Premier de Mexico. So uh, not in the Premier League, but... Uh, you know, is uh, someone who has had an opportunity to lace up effectively. And I, I always enjoy, Nick, the story of someone who's made the transition from sport into, you know, an acting capacity of this element. Because, you know, I think it helps add a little realism to scenes that in some shows can be very poorly constructed, where... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. The action does not match the way that the game actually would unfold. Look, I I love Ted Lasso. Some of the early football scenes in the show before he shows up are no. are are a little tough. They're a little <laughs> as as a football fan, they're a little tough. But it's clear when he starts dribbling that like this cat can actually play. Like he he's a he's a footballer in an actor's body and. It's really cool to see, Brandon, because it does, as Dan said, introduce that realism to to the screen uh, and in front of your eyes. He's doing little techers. He's doing little tricks, you know, and and I love the fact that they they found like the diamond in the rough for this show. Right. He, He adds diversity to the group. He adds a joyful attitude to the group and he can actually you know, lace them up and, and kick it around a bit. And it makes a difference. You know, it, it, to me, I think this is one of those rare mid season entry points for, for a character in a show where you're like, Holy shit. They added a lot to this. Yeah. Ted is really, you know, obviously funny. The quote he has, he goes, I feel like we fell out of a lucky tree, hit every branch on the way down, ended up in a pool full of cash and sour patch kids. 
I mean, Jamie is an ace, right? You know whose attitude turned him into a seven of clubs. So then we bring in another fella to help turn him back into an ace, and that fella ends up being an ace himself. And so now we got two aces, hence the title of the show. But uh, it worked out better than Ted could have ever uh, imagined because Danny Rojas is uh, the dream. So shout out to Estudiantes Tecos Club of of Liga Premier in Mexico. (laughs) So after training, we see uh, a very solemn Jamie picking up training cones and and balls. Uh, He does the crossbar challenge. I think, you know, just to remind himself, he's still got it. And out of nowhere, Danny Rojas comes in for a little friendly competition that clearly Jamie wanted no part of Dan. Like this is the anti Jamie Tart. Uh, and so Jamie's having to face a, a very positive, overjoyous person that uh, wants to share the spotlight, even though he's really good, which is not how the Tart Man does it. Well, not how the Tart Man does it, but this is the crossbar challenge is effectively a way to test your accuracy in your shot because the crossbar is a much harder target to hit than the back of the net because. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, we, you know, little kids, you know, before the game will like run up past the mascot and shoot it into the net because it's massive. Um, Hitting the crossbar requires a little more accuracy, a little more finesse. And so it's really a a skills competition that lets you flex a little bit. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm better than you. I'm more accurate than you. And Danny doesn't see it that way. But Jamie certainly does. Danny is more just wanting to have fun. He's wanting to see what, you know, another player has. And Jamie is taking it probably evaluating it as a more serious like am i really gonna be bounced because of this guy who came in out of nowhere yeah it's uh they both can do it i I mean the other thing about jamie is jamie can you know this this character can also play Uh, so both of them are probably the two footballers on the on the team realistically uh and, and what they're doing so it was you know it's it's cool to see competition right and i think that's why we love sports in general is because you you can determine if there's a winner and a loser. And in this case, Jamie was the loser for the second time in the day. So, yeah. So then, it, you know, a little bit later, we see Danny doing extra drills after training, but he trips over nothing uh, and gets injured. We find out through a hilarious locker room exchange uh, that Danny was in the training room before practice. And that is apparently a problem, which you would think it's good he's in the training room. Not if it's haunted. So now we find out Danny was tripped by someone who was not there. <laughs> it's a good little uh, English as a second language uh, phrase right there. So what do you do, Nick? If you f- Once Ted finds out, no one's told him up to this point, right? They're like halfway done with the season. He had no idea. He goes, well, if it's haunted, Roy's like, I don't believe in any of it. He goes, all right, well, let's go check it out. He goes, I will not no. be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's like the classic, like, I, I'm not scared of ghosts, but I'm certainly not going to walk into that haunted mansion. That's just not going to happen. Um, yeah, it, Ted, Ted's a man of action, right? This is what we know of Ted Lasso. Whether he, the action is right or not leaves, you know, people uh, guessing sometimes. But he immediately decides, Dan, that there is a curse to reverse. And so his, his best guess as to how to get this done is that they all get together at the crown and anchor pub to go over why the curse could have happened in the first place of course you get the hilarious exchange that all the all the regulars are there all the all the match going fans are there people learn that the team is in the pub and start gathering outside of the pub but before the business 
actually kicks off, we get a nice little uh, cultural touchstone uh, paying homage uh, and, and tribute to one Martin Scorsese where they kind of banter around <laughs> what the best Scorsese film is. And uh, for me, it's Goodfellas. So I'm just going to throw that out there, Dan. Goodfellas is top three. I think uh, Raging Bull is probably number one for me. But go, uh, go, Going back to the 50s? Oof. No, it's 80s, uh, 1980 for Raging Bull. But, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good films. I, I would ask Brandon what his favorite Scorsese film is, but I feel like that's just a losing question. And Brandon, uh, just look one up. The, <laughs> you have the it's internet a, it's at a your fingers. a cultural crossbar challenge that he is not going to execute. Whatever against. May said, I'm in. Uh, she said... I'm Team May. Uh, that's all. Like, that's it's that simple. Which one did she say? I don't know, but... Uh, I love that they have the entire team in the pub. Uh, it's just funny, you know, dynamics. And then all of a sudden, the uh, the you know the crowd rallies, as you know, May said, like, "Hey, you got to get in, get out, because hey, word's gonna get out." And sure enough, it does. Uh, but May and Higgins, you know, they hit him with the history lesson, right? They're like, "Here's why." You know, they put up posters around town to recruit footballers. Ended up being an army propagandist thing. Recruited a bunch of guys into the. The, the military, they did their physical in the training room or where it was. Ted tries to say, no, 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 it wasn't there. And immediately just has to unfurl himself because he can't tell a lie. And uh, they said, all right. So, you know, Sam says, oh, how do we fix this? We can't change the past. And again, like just line after line, Nick, you love to hear uh, just Ted go into these situations. Yeah, he says, no, Sam, we cannot, but we can choose to honor it. Now, those young men, they made the ultimate sacrifice. So I think it's only fair that we sacrifice something of our own, right? Sacrifice for sacrifice makes sense. Uh, I'm going to ask each and every one of you to go home tonight, find an item, find something personal, something that you truly value. And I want you to bring it to the clubhouse tonight at midnight. He doesn't say what they're going to do with it, right? Mm -hmm. He just says, grab it and see at midnight. You know, this is presumably during the work week, you know, so they're, so they're really getting into this, Dan, but it, you know, it, it's, it's Ted's way of going, we got to try something here. Right. And I think in the back of his mind, he knows that this is more of a team bonding thing than it is anything really superstitious. Uh, but he's taking it pretty seriously, which is cool. I feel like this is a little bit of his collegiate coaching background being mm. relied upon where it is about the bonding. It is about the growth of young players, young individuals into adulthood. And he's taking some of that background, Brandon, and kind of putting it into full effect to help the team come together in a way that they really haven't at this point in the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it's just so funny. Uh, but, you know, obviously Jamie Tart not around. You know, they, they mentioned it at the beginning. Of that, like, is Jamie here? They're like, no, all right, we just got to start. You know, again, May was pushing him to get going. Um, he actually seeked out Keeley, not – for a hookup, but almost just for a conversation. He was in town uh, because Manchester City were playing West Ham, and he was quick to rattle off his stats from the game, which was good. Uh, but we actually see like a deep conversation from from Jamie, and and it's kind of funny just how it, it just unrolled. Because again, like talk about character development and like seeing another side and the impact that someone like Keeley's had on him. And uh, Dan, it's kind of a, a funny exchange uh, led by Jamie here. Oh, Jamie asking, yeah, but I'm Jamie, or saying, yeah, 
but I'm Jamie Tart. I'm not like everybody else. Do you think that I could have gotten from a council estate in North Manchester to the Premier League if I did what everyone else did? And then Keely responds with the, no, I don't. You're a battler, Jamie. It's really hot. But maybe someday you'll, you should stop battling other people that just want to help you. Yeah. And the mirror has been raised to Jamie Tart to reflect upon what he is doing to the people around him. Basically every person around him, right? I mean, he has a, he has a confrontational attitude with basically everybody, Ted, Keeley, Roy, anyone who, who's trying to make him better. Uh, and just for a, a little bit of terminology, council estate is not um, – it's public housing. Uh, that's what that is. So just as a, a, a aside there, we, we may call it something different in America, but that's what that is. Yeah, essentially started, you know, at the ground level playing rec mm-hmm. soccer in the neighborhood and, and got all the way up, you know, didn't have those um, those privileges maybe that some other people did. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we see Sam going to Rebecca's office to uh, try to convince her to come to the curse breaking ceremony. Sam is the nicest guy and will not take no for an answer, Nick. Absolutely not. Love the hilarious um confusion about a romantic endeavor as well hmm wonder if we see that pay off at any point but i i pay love off. the i love the uh the the you know people think that you know because i'm from nigeria i get all mixed up in this in this uh voodoo stuff and rebecca's like oh surely you don't he's like no no i absolutely do but it's because i love harry potter like he's just he's just such a uh, an innocent character in this whole thing and he is the exact right person to go to Rebecca because he throws the charm offensive in a way that Ted can't even really do, which is saying something in this episode. Like Ted has tried so many times to knock that wall down and it's just not coming down. But little innocent Sam rolls into the office one time, Dan, and it's like, oh, oh all right, well, I'll, I'll think about it, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what to say to you. She's trying to not get involved still. Because she knows, Rebecca knows, that she is setting up everybody to fail. Like, she she is not looking for good tidings for anyone. And I think it's hard to sit across from Sam, who is the nicest guy, and be like, yeah, yeah, I really don't want you and your teammates and this club and this organization to be happy. Um, <clears throat> so it gets worn down a little bit, which is uh, which is a nice thing to see. Yeah, for for sure. So uh, we jump ahead to the ceremony. Each person in the room brings something to sacrifice. Again, did not know they were going to be sacrificing it uh, to pay respect for those who made the ultimate sacrifice uh, back. Was it like 1914? Something something like that. Early 1900s. So let's run down real quick at everyone brought. Roy brings Blanky that his late grandfather gave him. Uh, so funny. Like, yeah, just hearing Roy talk is so like proper British footballer. And like, I love every second of it. Like I was laughing watching this again, just because of the words he was choosing, like say something like he just was ready to fight everybody. And he goes, I was not uh, just all of it. Watch it back. It's great. Sam brings the photo of the 1994 Nigeria national team because he said he would never take it off his wall until he made the team. He said, I'm still going to do it. Nate sacrificed his sunglasses that made him look like Clive Owen, and he almost couldn't do it. Rebecca gets rid of the daily tabloid. Fuck the haters. She she threw that in there. Uh, Richard sacrifices sand from when he first slept with a supermodel, to which Tough everybody stuff. just Tough groaned. <laughs> Colin throws in his Lamborghini keys, and someone asks, how, does, how are you getting home? 
to which he has no idea. Uh, Jamie then comes in at from the back of the room, and he gives a hell of a speech here. Talks about his parents. It gives us a look into what drives him and, and his family. He's vulnerable. Uh, and I think we know that he's on his way out at this point, but he's still here. Um, he's committed to the team, but just like Jamie Tart would never talk about his mom and his dad in front of a group like that. You, you finally get the insight as to why he's a bastard-coated bastard with bastard filling, right? It's not been easy for him. Um, and I think after that, everybody, including Roy, you know, the, the, uh, the classic nemesis of, of the group, uh, looks at him a little bit differently, right? And, and I think that's a, a good moment for his character development. These last two episodes, he's really kind of taken up the mantle to try and, and change a little bit, and that's, and that's a good thing for him. Anyone surprise you, Dan, with uh, with what they had to had to bring? I think Colin having the Lambo was probably the most shocking of all that to me. I don't know; it just didn't feel it didn't feel like the right match for the character. Um, after burning the pile safely outside, thanks to Beard, as Ted was about to ignite it in the dressing room, um, Ted asks if this asks the spirits for a sign. And Danny Rojas comes sprinting out of the tunnel, signifying the end of the curse. However, we learn that Ted knew Danny was okay all along and made up this ceremony to get the team closer together. Danny brings a bottle of mezcal to throw into the fire, but Roy and Jamie assure him that the ghosts prefer the bottle to be drank. They proceed to do just that. And team bonding to the max has just occurred. Nothing like a bottle of mezcal before training the next day, you know, just really take that bad boy all the way down. Um, but, you know, again, cultural moment. Nice that, you know, we get to see mezcal brought into the to the celebrations. And, yeah, the, the team begins to show some unity, maybe for the first time, right, it, around this this activity that Ted's put together. But I think, Brandon, when he tries to get Rebecca to join she she sees that her plans are getting harder to pull off, right? He's now done the unthinkable like two or three times to foil her at every turn, whether it was, uh, you know, getting the photo removed, having the great interview with Trent Krim, or basically avoiding all of her punches at every opportunity. Like, this is... She's now annoyed. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, she kind of, like, snapped to and realized that oh, I'm getting sucked into this group. I need to remove myself. And uh, so she didn't want to join in the celebration. Uh, Higgins joins Ted. Rebecca storms off. Um, we get the rousing edition of Richmond Till We Die, which is great. Um, Rebecca to Higgins, right? She goes, putting the team first, A. Higgins. And he goes, I guess I am. So also a little bit of a change with Higgins all of a sudden. We do remember, you know, right away at the beginning, that conversation, um, you know, she essentially forced him into loyalty with the uh, the promotion and reminding him all the things he did for Rupert. So mm -hmm. uh, next day, Triumph to Ted swaggers into training only to find out that, well, Man City recalled Jamie from loan. They did it. Ted is furious and confronts Rebecca. He also gives her her biscuits and lets her know for the first time that he's made them the whole time. He said, I hope this is the worst batch you've had. Dang it. No, I finally cracked the recipe and he storms off and she kind of has that look like, oh, you were doing this, so cats out of the bag, Dan. It's Ted. Yeah, definitely a shock to the system for Rebecca to learn that in that moment, and you don't really get a response to it in that second where 
there's the realization that this has happened, right? The hunt for the biscuits, the hunt for what shop has been providing them to Ted and for him to drop that in his moment of frustration is, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, it, it was a personal act of kindness, Nick, that now is maybe a little sour as, uh, you know, his time as a manager is being interrupted by the front office maybe having a little bit too much say in what's going on with the footballing activity. Lose this cool for the second time in the episode, right? Because he's put in all this work, right? In a relatively short amount of time to get Jamie on board. The minute he gets Jamie on board, Rebecca, you know, betrays his trust and sends him back to city, right? And so, yeah, this is the the somber end to, to the episode, unfortunately, where it's like you get the uh, the the little whisper of football is life from Danny while the rest of the team are kind of in shock. They just lost their leading goal scorer, right? Even if they thought Jamie was a prick, Brandon, you lose your leading goal scorer on the team and you wonder how you're going to win matches from here on out. Like they're all professionals at the end of the day. So that's a pretty difficult thing to, to grapple with. Without a doubt, results-based business. We, we've we seen it time after time. Teams, coaches, players will put up with less than, you know, less than desirable people because they're so good at, at the job and they get it done. So Danny Rojas, like you said, sends us out with a, at the somber football as life uh, as the team kind of huddle around Jamie's locker as if he is almost passed away in <laughs> a little, little tribute. So uh, anyways, that is on our on the pitch, which was a lot, obviously. So we're gonna take our ad break and we get back. We're jumping right into off the pitch, aka the workplace stuff. Here we go. All right. Well, Unlike most episodes, we don't have an off-the-pitch moment in episode six until nine minutes in, and this episode doesn't have much in terms of off-the-field or non-curse-related matters anyways. It starts with a conversation between Rebecca and Higgins talking about managers who have called to see if Rebecca was firing Ted, which is hilarious, Dan, because all of them are well-known English Premier League <laughs> managers, which I I laughed at. I think the two that are the most hilarious to me out of... Uh um, is probably Poulos and Redknapp, uh, just because they've also engaged in punditry as well. And I think, Nick, that, you know, there are probably other names they could have thrown in as well, but those are the, the two to me that are the most hilarious. Yeah, big, big Sam Allardyce could have been the other one that I, that I thought was mentioned, like, you know, the, the relegation saver himself. But, yeah, I mean, Tony Pulis, Alan Kerbishley, and, and Harry Redknapp. These are all real people. And it, when you hear references like this, Brandon, you're like, oh, shit, these guys actually are not messing around here. Like, they're they're actually tapping into the broader football knowledge base uh, that exists in English football. Didn't they say Harry Redknapp is called three times? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, again, if you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, big miss on not having Big Sam in there. But, you know, hey, whatever. Uh, Keely storms in uh, to share all of the research that she's been doing to get the players more PR opportunities after a quick laugh. Uh, Keely lets Rebecca know that Rupert's new love interest is the same woman from the gala event and that the press are now calling Rebecca old Rebecca. You can tell that this hits really hard with her, uh, but it's a great moment of friendship between the two. You know, Keely sat down and said, I want to be the one to console you, not break it to you. And, uh, you know, Dan, she struggled even getting through it to, to tell her, but she knew she had to. And it was, you know, it was fun. She goes, oh, the new Rebecca and I'm Rebecca. She's like, nope, nope. She's Rebecca and you're the. And she like didn't want to say it. <laughs> she like mouthed yeah. it. 
Well, it's the an example of how they're continuing to grow closer. That bond is is developing between the two and putting themselves in a situation where they <clears throat> they can have the space to um, you know talk to one another and have this moment to confide in one another about like, hey, this is this is the way the tabloid and the press who are uh, none too kind um, in these type of scenarios uh, you know to to rally against them a little bit. Well, it uh, you know, Keeley obviously is not done from there. Uh, this is so funny because they just show the feet of this next shot. Um, you see, you know, athletic shoes walking on the treadmill. Then all of a sudden, some stiletto boots start walking on the one next to it, and they pan up, and it's Keeley walking on the treadmill next to Roy, who has a book. Doesn't look very masculine, but I'm not here to judge. It just is an interesting idea that he was walking and reading. And uh, she just wants to chat them about uh, his past as she starts rattling off all these stats, Nick, or moments, I guess, from his past just to kind of show her that uh, she's been doing her homework. It's one of my favorite exchanges in the whole show. Uh, she says, I've been doing a lot of reading myself, actually. I read this mad story about a kid who grew up in a shit part of South London who got sent off to play as a child in Sunderland of all places and was later forced to wrap his own verse in a charity single which was called Winner Winner Football Dinner uh, that is where we get the uh, segment title from Roy said that was for world hunger and Keeley says I believe it was the cure and I was just like oh my god like th their banter is so good uh, and, and she goes on to say basically that she's doing research on all the players bios and, and Roy's like well I don't want any part of this leave me out of it and then Again, she just hammers him with, well, you wear a number, trot around while people clap, so I wouldn't be too high and mighty about it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's he's like, I'm not brilliant. one of your show ponies. And she goes, oh, you're not, and then delivers the right hook. I, again, Ugh. like, bravo to Keeley. I was so, I was in <laughs> stitches when she said that. Because, again, like, Roy's kind of your experienced hard man. You don't really, you know, take shots at him like that. But she can. That's all she woman. does. Yeah, yeah, she can do it. So anyways, uh, so, so funny. All right. Well, the main theme, in case you haven't got it by now, is ace in the hole. Uh, while the team has its superstitions, Ted uses that to his advantage. Absolutely played them all like a fiddle. Not only does he use the timely emergence of Danny Rojas to inspire Jamie to confront what's bothering him. Additionally, Ted uses a common enemy, a.k.a. the curse, to rally the team together after their first win in episode five to get even closer with each other. Roy is bought in. Higgins bought in. Help. Even Jamie begins to buy in. So, uh, without further ado, Nick, we do have the crown and anchor pub trivia. Weird questions and observations from the man himself. That's right. Uh, some more, some more fun stuff here. Obviously, engage with us on social at Pod Underdogs uh, if you have thoughts and feelings about this. Uh, first one, a bit of a niche topic, but uh, what is revealed to be Coach Beard's favorite bath bomb? Uh, there is a specific. I don't even know how to put flavor. <laughs> Flavor's not right. Scent? I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's Scent that's would be that the word. To Scent? Use. Yeah, uh, it could be a flavor though. So hint in on that. Uh, which main characters do we not see sacrifice something in the uh, montage that they do? Which is is really good. Rewatch it. It actually took me a couple times. There there are two main characters that we don't see uh, sacrificing something. So that's good. Uh, we, we mentioned this previously, so if you were listening, you'd know. But which team did Roy train with as a youngster before he got to Chelsea and eventually to Richmond? Uh, number four, what was special about the duck pen that Isaac sacrificed during 
uh, the, the curse breaking ceremony. And then number five, uh, we, we had heard mention of Higgins cat in a previous episode, but there is a very specific and heartwarming name uh, that he uh, bestows upon said late cat in this episode. So uh, tell us what the cat's name is, please. All right. Very good. So, uh, Dan, over to you for any surprises in the episode. Obviously, you said you didn't you were surprised at, at the Lambo and that, you know, he would have it. But in general, anything maybe a little bit larger? I don't think so. I thought this one actually was a pretty even though it had some curse breaking or trying to kind of go through. I mean, it's a pretty rally a group of individuals together episode. And so I don't know, I think in kind of comparison to other TV shows really kind of hit on the themes that are needed to have that disunity to bring people together um, even though there are some individuals with uh, machinations of uh, taking the team down from the inside. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that bringing an actor in who had played football was a pretty fucking big surprise, um, you know, especially because I had never seen uh, Cristo Fernandez in anything prior to Ted Lasso. Now he's everywhere. He's an international star and is in everything. Um, I think Ted even said he's like a raven haired golden retriever, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, great, a great description. But, uh, you know, I think, I think he really adds something special to this show. And, you know, not only because of the attitude and, and the positivity, but I think just like making the on pitch. Uh, football action a little bit more realistic. So that was good. I'm still kind of surprised that the different friendships or like kind of character connections that, that come about in this show are. I'm excited to continue to see more of them and where they go. But uh, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm you know, I never would have predicted the Keelian Roy kind of like back and forth stuff, uh, which I found really enjoyable. And even seeing Keelian and Rebecca, you know, kind of grow. It's they just everyone is is strongly intertwined, which I've really enjoyed just from a show. So uh, when it comes to winner, winner football dinner, okay, who won the episode? Uh, clean sweep. I mean, there's really no no fun arguments to be had here, Nick. It looks like uh, we're just going to award it and be done with it. Our, our man Ted is on a roll right now, having won episode two, three, five, and now six. Uh, look, the man set this whole thing in motion he got the team unified he got through to jamie he's building a sound uh, i think foundation with roy uh because of his actions in this episode and you know he's he is avoiding every single trap to this point that he can from rebecca uh, as she's trying to to uh, sabotage him dan so I, i i you know, it's a it's a damn near perfect performance. Oh, well, he is um, uh, one episode away from winning the season, and uh, only could someone, uh, either Rebecca or Keeley, tie him at this point if they were to sweep the remainder of the season. And so, uh, very likely that we are looking at the winner of his own mm-hmm. name show, Ted Lasso, being the season winner, winner football dinner. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, yeah, as it stands, uh, I think that's going to wrap us for this one tight and mighty from this one. Really excited. Um, but you know, that's it for us from this episode of the underdogs. Obviously, please connect with us as we've said at pod underdogs on social media. We're going to continue the chat there. And if you'd be so kind, take a few seconds, leave us a five-star rating review. Apple podcast, Spotify helps people, uh, discover us really, really appreciate that. And guess what? We'll see you on the next episode. 